Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 113 being recorded on Sunday, January 14th, 2018. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Jason, this is one of those very rare times uh, over the course of the year where we are actually not only in the same town, but in the same room at the same time. I know. It's awesome. Uh, we literally get to make eye contact while we're talking. This is very weird for me. Yeah, it is very weird. I'm usually just staring deeply into the, the computer. I'm staring deeply into a photo of you I have over my computer. Okay. Are there candles? We don't need to get into any more specifics. <laughs> cool. <And> so <laughs> why are we here together, Scott? We are here at big, beautiful New York City uh, for NRF's big show. It's that time of year again where we're here making the trek down to the Javits Center. Uh, no snow on the ground this year. I think that's the I think the last three NRFs I've been trudging through snow, but this one's pretty dry. There's no snow yet, but the main NRF weather tradition is the blizzard that comes in during the show and makes it impossible to go home after the show. And if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, there is a forecast for snow during the show, so we'll have to see. We may be doing a lot of podcasts from the uh, the podcast studio here in New York. Exactly, our our misery could be our listeners' benefit. Cool, and let's uh, we definitely want to do a little preview of some of the things that we're already hearing about at NRF. But you are fresh out of Vegas, where you were at CES. So I want to hear all about your CES experience. There's some pretty exciting things I saw that you tweet about, but I'm sure there's more color you can share. Yeah. Um, so this is an annual tradition for me is, you know, you celebrate New Year's and then you get on a plane and fly to Las Vegas with 180,000 of your closest friends uh, to see the latest new innovations in electronics. And then you go straight from there to New York for the Blizzard and the big uh, NRF retail show. Um, and I go to CES uh, almost every year. I think this is my 32nd year at CES uh, largely to see sort of uh, new trends that might affect our, our clients and our industries. Yeah. Now, there used to be Comdex and CES, remember? And you probably go, if we're talking 32 years, they used to be separate shows. Then they kind of merged. And now you can hardly see a computer anywhere um, at, at CES. Yeah. So they were competing shows. Comdex was in November. CES is in January. Yeah. They both briefly also tried to have second shows in Chicago at another time of year, which that that wasn't very successful. Um, Comdex went out of business. Some of those exhibitors then moved over to CES. Mm -hmm. And over history at various times, there have been industries that use CES as an important part of their business and then moved on. So like the video games used to all exhibit at CES. They outgrew it and launched their own show, which is E3. Um, Computers are not a super robust part of the consumer electronics ecosystem at the moment. They're pretty flat. Yeah. Um, uh, Although there is a big push. People are feeling like uh, the e-sports and the high-end gaming is uh, starting to drive a meaningful niche of these high-performance laptop sales. Hmm. Yeah. And one one category that is at CES now is autos. So autos used to be kind of at their show, which is called uh, SEMA. And then there's another part of SEMA, ACE? 
what is it called? So SEMA is the auto part show that's Parts, in Las Vegas. Yep. The, there, there's, of course, the Detroit auto show is going on right now okay. in Detroit, which is where all the, the car, you would typically see car manufacturers at Detroit launching their new Mustangs and those sorts of things. And you'd get the, like, tire guys and the, the oil filter guys and all that at SEMA. Mm-hmm. Um, and for many years, one of the big pieces of the Consumer Electronics Show was the aftermarket car audio industry, which is, yeah. of course, almost completely dead. Yeah. And then we had GPSs for a while. They were big. Exactly. Uh, and now, actually, the automakers are there in a pretty big way, right? Exactly. So they have taken over the hall that used to have the car stereo equipment in it, and they're largely showing car tech. Um, and so, you know, they're they're typically not launching their new vehicles in Las Vegas, they're typically showing the new in-dash platform, their new automation things, the new um, wireless services they're offering. And what's what's a little funny is you you go to all the car booths and you you might see you'll see some cars, but you see a lot more like tech components from the cars. And then you go to all the other halls where you see the the major ingredient. Um, tech companies like Bosch and Intel and Qualcomm that make a lot of the parts in the car. Mm -hmm. And they all, of course, have fancy complete cars in their booths. So Mm -hmm. you go to the tech show to see the cars and the car show to see the tech. Yeah. So what's new in cars? Is it, um, is there still a big battle for the smart car platform? Are we moved on to self-driving? Because I know Intel is big in that. What, what are some of the big things in auto? Yeah. So by far the big trend in the, the car boost this year is automation, um, and particularly the self-driving vehicles, they have this uh, system, this ranking system from uh, automated level one through five. So like a level one car has tools that help you drive better, like a flashing light that tells you that the car in front of you is stopped. And uh, two can kind of assist you in certain things um, like, like uh break for you when there's a car in front of you uh three can let you have your hands off the wheel four can let you have your eyes off the wheel and five doesn't have a wheel yep um and so there are a lot of now level three cars being shown at the at the show um and uh a lot of the the tech innovation was around like these these autonomous vehicles and then to a lesser extent uh, electric vehicles and new charging technologies and things like that. Qualcomm has this thing called Halo, which is wireless charging for your car. So you have a plate in your garage and you you just park the car over the plate and it charges it overnight for you. Neat, just like your phone. Yeah. This may seem irrelevant for retail, but um, I saw on CNBC Ford, um, you know, announced they're very excited about driverless cars, but they really kind of they don't believe that they'll be kind of a fleet kind of a thing like an Uber. They're really more into package delivery. So they think that it's going to be a last mile kind of a solution. So I thought that was kind of interesting that, you know, there's there's a major auto manufacturer that really thinks it's going to be really more for delivery. And he specifically talked about, you know, from stores to, to consumers effectively competing with FedEx, Amazon, UPS, and all those kind of folks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a uh – Another trend we can talk about from that this show is uh, robotics. And so kind of the combination of robotics and automation, there's a lot of interesting potential new help in that last mile. But the Ford booth at CES is kind of interesting. Um, They really focused on their vision for what a city looks like in a world in which most of the vehicles are autonomous. And so one of the big questions that they, they were trying to answer in their booth is, like, how do pedestrians interact with autonomous vehicles, right? Like, so 
often when you're crossing a busy street and there's a crosswalk, you may go out of your way to make eye contact with the driver before you just make a leap of faith and jump in front of the vehicle. So what do passengers expect to do when an autonomous car is coming up to a crosswalk or those kinds of things? And one of the things that they did to study this is they, they, they literally did this big research study on future cities, um, but they actually invented a costume that looks like a car seat. <laughs> and so they, they dressed a guy up to make him look like the empty seat of the car uh-huh. and sat him down in the car. So it was a fake autonomous vehicle. And I'm just thinking that that's a funny job to go home and tell your parents you just got is you're portraying a yeah. car seat. Or when you hop out to go to Starbucks, it must look really weird. Yes. It's like here comes a walking car seat. Exactly. So they videotaped all these consumer reactions and they have this notion around like we'll probably have to have some universal standards for like a lighting system in the car that, you know, as pedestrians know that – they're being seen or those kinds of things. Yeah. One ironic one is the new, uh, there's a Netflix series. Um, and this started in the BBC uh, and then uh, it got picked up, uh, but it's called black mirror. And in this, uh, they just released season four. I don't know if you've watched it or not. I think you're behind on everything still. I am. I, I caught up on most of the stuff <laughs> you give me grief on. So that's, that's next on my list. No spoilers, but one of the episodes um, it has this kind of plot device where there's a driverless vehicle that delivers pizzas and it kind of, knocks into this guy and it's not really part of the whole thing, but uh, the look and shape of it was really interesting. Like, you know, someone had spent a lot of time thinking about how would this look? And then I saw at CS pizza hut or Toyota and pizza hut had yeah. a, had a partnership. And it was just like, it was exactly like the thing on uh dark mirror. So it was really black mirror. So it was really very strange. And then I saw an article about it and there was no coordination or anything. It was oh, just, a I wonder who inspired who? Yeah. Uh, they're they're claiming independent uh, invention of the. It kind of has to be because well, if the show had known about the pizza thing, it could have been. But the show's literally been out for like it came out December like thirtieth or something. So there's no way they could have designed a prototype that fast. But it's it's kind of a re- eerily tales from the future kind of a thing that happened there. Gotcha. Uh, okay, so that's autos. Then uh, as I was sitting uh, watching remotely and not fighting for cabs with 180 thousand other people, I saw. A lot of the Twitter traffic and stories were around the the home automation and then also kind of the battle of the smart speakers and intelligent things. So so you know, last year your report from CS seemed like Alexa really won. This year it looks like Google was really stepping it up. Tell give us an update on what you saw there. Yeah. So that last year uh we didn't necessarily expect smart smart speakers to be a big part of CES, but you went to the show and Amazon was embedded in like over 400 devices at the show um, and, you know, seemed to be ubiquitous and Amazon didn't have a, their own presence at the show yet. They were getting all the buzz. A big part of why CES exists is to generate PR to drive future sales. And so most people declared Amazon the winner of that show. They didn't take a booth and yet they had this great presence. So this year uh, we were all curious to see if they would uh, double down on that, or if any of their competitors would make up any ground. And it really clearly has emerged a two horse race with Amazon and Google. So um, this was probably the death knell for Cortana. Cortana was, of course, born on the PC as part of the Windows operating system. And even all the Windows laptop manufacturers are now shipping laptops that are Alexa enabled, hmm. not Cortana enabled. Um, and what's the Samsung one? I can't remember its name. Uh, Bigsby. Bigsby. Um, and <laughs> Samsung is definitely has an interesting strategy. A, a overall theme at this show is uh, the traditional products you expect to see at the show were not very improved from last year. It was hmm. a very iterative year. And what the exhibitors were more focused on was 
the platform of how all these products work together rather than their individual features. So LG and Samsung all have smart refrigerators, smart washers, smart kitchens, all these different tools. Um, And instead of showing you how much better the refrigerator is this year than last year, they were more focused on how much better the house works when all these devices talk together um so that so lots of mocked up houses and those kind of things yeah like yeah. vignettes and and these use cases like hey you just baked lasagna in your smart oven your dishwasher knows you just uh baked a pan and so it's setting the dishwasher to the the pan scrubbing mode rather than the echo mode because it's got to get the the baked on cheese off the pan does anyone have a nest camera for looking in my refrigerator so when i'm at work and i can't remember if i have milk or not yeah it, that's one of the most popular features in the smart refrigerators okay. are these these webcams the ones on the outside where i can see inside isn't i need to like see it no from it's work. inside yeah, so that okay. when you're at work you that's can better yeah. at the store you can see if you need eggs or milk or those kinds of things yeah the favorite one i saw was uh so kohler came out with uh, pretty much any any kind of plumbing fixture in your house can now be Alexa uh, enabled. So they had this use case where the guy is holding a baby with both hands, and he says, "Alexa, turn on the sink." And then he like takes a hand and he like holds a bottle and puts it under. And it's kind of like, why couldn't he just take his hand and like turn on the sink? And then they have a toilet. Did you uh, did you get to check out the toilet? I did. I did not actually test the toilet, but I did observe the, okay. the Alexa right. enabled toilet. Um, and yeah, that. Alexa was embedded in everything. It's not clear that you want or would benefit from voice embedded in all these products. Um, But what was interesting about the whole voice battle this year was, uh, you know, that Google had a much bigger presence than last year. They both took a very big booth themselves, which we'll come back to in a second. Amazon actually stepped up the size of their booth. So they actually had um, a modest Alexa ecosystem booth. Um, Last year they had the treasure truck, so this year they had the treasure truck and these examples of all the third-party products that work on the Alexa ecosystem. Hmm. Google built this big booth with de- – uh, they launched some new hardware at the show. So they have uh, – um, through partners, they're making a, a, what I would call a Echo Look type product, a, a Google Home product with a screen wow, okay. um, in, a, in a very familiar form factor to people that uh, – uh, have the the Echo Look. And so they launched a booth to demonstrate all those things. Unfortunately, the, the booth is super extravagant and was designed for big parts of it to be outdoors. And for the first time in 115 days, it rained in Las Vegas. And so literally the, the Google booth was rained out on the first day, which I imagine is a multi-million dollar mistake. Uh-oh. I saw it had a slide. Did you get a chance to zip down the slide? Uh, it, it did. I did not get a chance to zip down the slide. Their booth was... Um, so crowded that they literally had like wait time management for all the various things. So you like, it was 15 minutes to go to the roof and go down the slide. And I just didn't have the time. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I uh, back on the color thing. I heard that the, um, the Lex integration with the toilet was kind of crappy. I don't bump bump. Uh, I'll add the drum roll in post. No, no, I won't listeners. Um, but so Google like did have a big presence. They were embedded in in more products, but what they really did is they spent a fortune on advertising. So so Google bought all the outdoor ads. They had ads on a ton of the taxis. They wrapped the Las Vegas uh, metro in in Google signage stairs. I always like it when they do the stairs. Yeah, they, I don't specifically es- remember some escalators. Stairs, but, I like an escalator. Yeah. So they they spend a lot of money on outdoor advertising, which is ironic, I guess, given that they're primarily an advertising platform. You should Um, ask them how they measured the efficacy of that. Yeah, I don't think there is one. (laughs) Um, 
So they definitely got more mind share as a result of spending all that money, and it certainly shows that they're, they have an earnest interest in winning the space. Uh, it feels like they're still pretty far behind from an integration standpoint. They're certainly far behind from a, a skills perspective, as, we, as we've talked about. Um, but it's really emerging as a two-horse race, and lots of retailers have a vested interest in Amazon not owning the the home automation voice space and so you know there's a lot of people that that you know are rooting for google because they're the the potential foil to amazon yeah did google talk anything about the business model and how ads are going to work and they're just kind of like charging in and they'll figure it out later yeah they really didn't like obviously there was an they didn't talk a lot about it but there was a big announcement to me last quarter when both target and walmart and some other retailers started sharing first party data with google um, so that if you if you're in the Google ecosystem and you shop at Walmart and you say order more peanut butter, Google has access to your peanut butter purchase history from Walmart um, to fulfill the 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 most likely peanut butter you'd want, right? And that was historically a huge competitive advantage for Amazon is their artificial intelligence system had all this historical data on consumer purchases, and since Google doesn't sell anything. They were pretty disadvantaged, and so if Walmart and Target both share their data with Google, and you say order, you just say order more peanut butter. Will Google know? Oh, Jason buys the most GIF from Walmart, and it'll order GIF from Walmart. Like, will it use that to discern between retailers? Uh, yeah. Although it's it's less that it's deciding. Like, you opt in. So in the Google Home ecosystem, you say, "I want my fulfillment partner to be Walmart," and then that. Okay. That, that opts you in to Walmart sharing your data with Google, um, and then uh, you're likely to get GIF if you pr- primarily order GIF. There, that is an advertising opportunity. So when you're a frequent purchaser of GIF, they're likely going to sell you the GIF you frequently purchase. But if you say order peanut butter and you're not a frequent purchaser of GIF, they need to suggest something to you. And they typically pick one brand. Historically, that's been this Amazon Choice program on the Amazon platform. So mm-hmm. the Amazon Choice product usually ends up being the recommended product in in the Alexa ecosystem. Uh, but we're seeing some strong indications that Amazon is actually selling the that first recommended spot for new purchasers to a lot of brands. And so mm-hmm. it's sort of ironic. Like we've always talked about, Google is primarily an ad driven business, doesn't have a way to monetize voice. Uh, Amazon obviously makes money selling stuff. And so if voice makes you buy more stuff, Amazon could monetize much better than Google. And then irony of ironies, it appears that that Amazon is ahead of Google in terms of uh, figuring out good advertising models for voice or at least acceptable ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, a couple more CS thing. What was the uh, worst or the wackiest thing you saw? Yeah, every year there's some goofy products. There's the, you know, the Bluetooth fork or something like that. Um, I There wasn't something that jumped out at me as completely wacky. There's a ton of new um, smart health tech and particularly a ton of sleep tech. And some of that seems somewhat silly, right? So aromatherapy and video systems to, you know, help you get four hours of sleep in a 20-minute power nap, for example. So there's a lot of that. And then one product we thought that was kind of interesting, I think it could both be the wackiest product or the biggest commercial hit, is this uh, 3D printing for uh, presumably young girls' fingernails. Oh, neat. Um, yeah. So you can, you know. There was chocolate last year. Am I remembering that right? 
There, there have, there's definitely been some 3D yeah. chocolate printers. I thought you were going to say chocolate. No, for a while. Yeah, but to me, that would not be silly at all. Yeah. <laughs> you need a, a latte printer. Exactly. Um, what was the coolest thing you saw? Uh, well, it Did you of, see that Samsung wall? Everyone, there's a lot yeah. of buzz around this Samsung wall. Yeah, so every year there's a big competition around um, what's the newest, most amazing television that can be invented. And a lot of these te- televisions are ones that never get commercial adoption. They're... they're um, you know, concept televisions that they, they build uh, very similar to a concept car. And so they keep getting bigger and bigger um, or thinner and thinner. Uh, LG had a television that you would like an 88 inch 8k television that you would literally roll up. Oh, I saw that it comes in like a little tube and it kind of rolls up. So it could be in a very small footprint. Exactly. And there is this actual practical problem that a lot of people struggle to self-install TVs on the wall. So there's a lot of TVs that are damaged shortly after they're bought when they fall off the wall. And these, these you know, uh, LG TVs that are now like six millimeters thin, like they're literally mounted to the wall with tape. Mm. Um, so that that is kind of cool and interesting. The Samsung uh, wall TV is just impressive for its high resolution and enormousness. Um, they didn't give us a spec for exactly how many inches it is, but it's well over 200 inches um, so that was just a, a very cool piece of glass. Um, there, you know, there are a couple of the new car manufacturers can't afford to go to the Detroit auto show. So they launch new cars from companies that don't have a history in the auto space tend to launch at CES. And so there's this new electric autonomous vehicle called the Bryant, which, uh, Bryant, um, which, you know, it may or may not ever see the light of day, but the concept, uh, car looked very cool and it had, a what they call a pillar to pillar um digital screen so the 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 entire dash a 4 foot wide dash is all one big big monitor and if i own this vehicle i would spend most of my time just sitting in the garage gaming because it's it would be the best screen i own <laughs> um okay let's uh what let's bring it back to retail what was the the most interesting commerce stuff or, or kind of give us a tour of who who was talking commerce at CS. Yeah, so it really isn't a retail show. Um, a bunch of retail people go to the show because all the manufacturers are building displays to introduce their products to to people at the show, very similar to how a retailer would merchandise their products in the store. So a lot of the merchandising team for retailers go to look and see how LG and Samsung and Sony are presenting their new products. Um, but this year at the show, uh, Alibaba had a big booth. They had a booth last year. Um, they, they went even bigger this year, but what's interesting, it really didn't focus on e-commerce or their marketplace at all. It really focused on actual Alibaba branded products that Alibaba is inventing. So they have a smart speaker, for example. Um, and it was really promoting a lot of their services, many of which will feel very Amazon like, um, to Westerners. So they have a equivalent to AWS. And so a big part of the booth was committed to their services. They have a, a meeting chat type uh, telepresence, like a go-to meeting or a Zoom um, or a blue jean, depending on on uh, what region of the country uh, you're in. And uh, those, uh, you know, they're they're demonstrating those things in the booth. Uh, they did have um, uh, Alibaba has an interest. They used to own Ant Financial, which is all the payment stuff. Yep. Um, so they had. Uh, Alipay and pay with a smile. So they have this voice recognition that pay or face recognition that pays when you smile. They had lockers, uh, Dropbox lockers that 
you unlock with your face and things like that. Um, so I that, saw you were in a cab and you could actually pay with Alipay in your cab. That's most of the cool. Las Vegas cabs take Alipay, and you correctly guessed why. It's because there's a huge amount of Chinese tourism in Las Vegas. Um, I lied to you and said I paid with Alipay. Like you actually have to have a Chinese bank account to get an Alipay account. So it turns out to be non-trivial. To I get figured. One. I tried. I figured if you don't have Apple Pay, there's no way you have. I do Apple have Apple Pay. pay. So. And if anyone doesn't believe me, like send some cash to Jason Goldberg on Apple Pay right now and see if it goes through. Um, the uh, Badao is the Chinese search engine that's um, sort of the Chinese equivalent of Google, and they had a big booth. They had never been there before. They also are getting in the the um, consumer electronics space with some smart speakers and some uh, some other products. They had their own device operating system that they're pushing. Um, there was a retail tech pavilion at CES, but it was, you know, I think the retail tech vendors were all getting ready for this week at NRF. So the, the vendors at CES were, you know, probably not the marquee vendors. There's some kind of typical digital signage vendors that we see everywhere, like Perch uh, that was in the retail tech pavilion, um, and then in the emerging technology section, there were a lot of vendors sh- using computer vision for retail applications. So a bunch of these tech guys that don't know retail really well are envisioning that every retailer is going to want face recognition to track every customer and recognize every customer when they go in. So that's a super common use case that these Israeli security companies <laughs> um, set up set up booths to, to pitch. I, I'm less convinced that retailers want that. Um, but then what... What makes perfect sense that there's a lot of is uh, companies with expertise in computer vision using that computer vision uh, to create an Amazon Go-like experience for self-checkout or for inventory management. So there were a bunch of companies talking about that. One in particular that got some good buzz uh, is called AI Poly, Um, and they they were demonstrating some some pretty sophisticated use cases of just using cameras observing shoppers to – that could very clearly differentiate which product a shopper had picked up off a shelf. Cool. So they were like, um, so they had mock-ups of stores where they were showing this technology. In. Yeah, they would claim that oh, we have a complete Amazon Go equivalent solution, mm-hmm. and really, like, they have sophisticated computer vision technology to identify um, what the shopper's doing. But you know, the, there's a bunch of other pieces that are required for Go, like payments and, and stuff and, yeah. that that. That I'm not sure uh, these startup companies have have invested in solving for a retailer. Yeah. So a while ago, it may have been last year. There's that there's a really big company in China, Xiaomi, um, that they were going to launch phones here, and I think they've got a whole family of gadgets now. Um, that seems to have disappeared. Were they there? I didn't see them. Now this CES is not a huge phone show because in February is a huge is the worldwide phone show in Barcelona, the Mobile yeah. World Congress. Yeah, um, you are right. There are some Chinese manufacturers that try to penetrate the U.S. market, and maybe the interesting one. And I I never know how to pronounce their name properly. It's a Chinese company, so I'm not gonna try on the podcast. But they're a big Chinese consumer electronics manufacturer that makes a lot of premium smartphones in China. And they were making a big splash that they were going to um, enter the U.S. market. And they actually cut a deal with AT&T to sell their phones in all the AT&T stores. And so right before CES, that was the big announcement. And they had a huge booth at CES. Well, uh, like the U.S. government claims that they're you know owned by the Chinese government um, and that their technology isn't secure mm. um, and – uh, that uh, you know, apparently they the government rattled their saber enough that AT and T backed out on this 
this deal and opted not to sell uh, this Chinese hardware um, that, you know, if you if you go super nefarious, that the Chinese government could somehow have access to these these camera phones and speakers and all these yeah. uh, consumers hands in the U.S. Scary. Yeah. Uh, all right. Last CS topic. Anything exciting on the in the world of drones and then AR VR? Uh, so there is a ton of drones. I would say it was a slow year in evolution. Um, DJI really dominates the consumer drone space. They launched one last year around CES that became super popular, uh, the Mavic Pro. Mm-hmm. Um, they've since launched a smaller one. Um, and so what you mostly saw at CES is everyone else knocking off the the Mavic Pro this year. So there was a lot of that. What what was new at CES this year was uh, it was definitely the first year when robots were very ubiquitous. There were robots in all the big booths, and they really range the spectrum from some that are like practical and have achieved some consumer success, like like smart vacuum cleaner, Roomba type stuff, mm-hmm. uh, to some very absurd robots. So there were a lot of uh, LG was showing shopping robots that that drive the shopping cart to follow you around the store, so you don't have to push the cart. There are a bunch of robots that drag your suitcase through the airport for you, so you don't have to do that. Um, there was like a $35,000 robot that folds your clothes when they come out of the laundry Ooh, for you. Yeah. Exciting, yeah. yeah. So maybe that has an application in a retailer, folding clothes at the Gap or something like that, but yeah. I'm not sure a lot of consumers are, uh, dislike folding enough to, to buy it. draw a crowd to come see the, the folding robot. Yeah. <laughs> I saw, uh, and I don't know if it was CS, but uh, Boeing released a prototype type of a drone that can carry 500 pounds. Um, and it was interesting. It's not a military application. I think they've taken the military stuff and scaled it down. But uh, the article specifically talked about it, you, you know, being an interesting way you could like load balance between fulfillment centers with that kind of weight load. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Yeah. You know, they, here's a corner of stuff I don't need in Ohio. You know, have the drone carry it to. I don't know how far this thing can go, but yeah. to, to another fulfillment center. They're um, definitely scaling up the drone technology. So there were at least two passenger drones or three passenger drones at the at the show. So these are like autonomous vehicles that take passengers. And the notion is that that could be a sky taxi in some cases. Um, and uh, there's an all electric one that Intel um, is partnering in. And we were kind of joking about, you know, probably not perfect timing to have a autonomous drone with no pilot in it that carries passenger that's being powered by this Intel chip that now is vulnerable to the meltdown <laughs> yeah. um, bug. I'm not sure I'd want to be directly under that 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 drone, but uh, they definitely had some big capacities. I think even uh, Bell, the big helicopter manufacturer, was there with with some drones, so definitely possible. And then a lot of the robots are good at moving that stuff around in the last mile, too. Mm-hmm. So Honda had a bunch of uh, industrial robots. Obviously, the Kiva is a, uh, a robot that, that Amazon now owns. Um, and you, you joked about the military uses, but I will say just superficially, a bunch of these drones did look like they were just disarmed right before the, the show. Yeah, it kind of freaks me out. The, speaking of Black Mirror episode, I would recommend for listeners, uh, all the episodes are independent, so you can just like skip around. Uh, watch the one called Heavy Metal. That one uh, gave me some good nightmares. So it's pretty, pretty exciting. Um, okay, that's a well, thanks for that CES review. That's awesome. Uh, let's do a quick NRF preview. So I think the thing we're really excited about is there's a uh, Apple event that we got invited to, and that's going to be tomorrow. And it's uh, we don't know anything about it. We just know, uh, you know, in, in typical Apple format, the invitation has we have something says we have something in 
store for you. Uh, there's a picture of a bag. So seems like Apple is doing something around retail technology. What you have any speculation? What's going on? Yeah, I don't have any real insight. I am in the dark as much as you. Um, it it definitely seems like Apple is poised to launch some retail product or service. Um, they they never have a booth at CES. They weren't at CES this year. Uh, but they have a big meeting space that's heavily Apple branded at NRF this year, which I found interesting. And so you combine that with us getting invited to this secret event that they they wouldn't tell us the nature of. Um, I my like the most likely thing is that they're launching some new thing in the payment uh, ecosystem. So maybe like the next version of Apple Pay or a POS or a, you know leveraging the Apple OS for for you know commercial retail tech like. You know, yeah. tablet enablement, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And a lot of retailers use the tablets as a retailing thing. So maybe it's just more around that or maybe it's just a set of best practices. It doesn't feel like they would do an event and a meeting room for just like, hey, here's how people are using our technology. It seems like there must be more to no, it. No, so I, we'll I, I think they're going to launch something that's Apple branded that that is targeted at the retail industry. So I, um, that that could be super fun. We don't There aren't that many surprises from Apple these days. So, so we're here and if it's um, – if it's earth shattering, we will put out a quick podcast just to kind of you know lay down our thoughts after we see whatever the amazing thing is. I just hope Tim Cook's there. I've been dying for a Tim Cook. Oh selfie. yeah, yeah. I'm gonna do a Tim Cook and emoji selfie. It's gonna be good. I'm, I'm torn though. Should I do unicorn or I don't know? I, I uh, so one of the products <laughs> I bought at CES this year is a 360 camera. Ooh, and so I feel like you're gonna need to do selfie. a 360 selfie. Nice. Uh, okay. Um, another thing that we're excited about is uh, we have Casey uh, from Deloitte on the show. So we'll be putting out um, – they have some new research that we're going to be talking to Casey for the first time here on the show. Um, we have our digital council meeting, so that's good. Uh, I saw they have a speaker. I did not read the details. Did you? Yeah, I think it is a friend of yours, Lee from Alibaba. Oh, yeah. Okay. I do remember now. Awesome. So we'll get to hear – uh, all about Singles Day, so that'll be good. And how much better it is than Cyber Monday? Um, let's see. Anything else around NRF that we want to talk about? Uh, so there are a number of um, uh, interesting private events that uh, are great networking opportunities, and you know, hopefully, we'll we'll get some people inebriated and get them to inappropriately share with us on the podcast. Um, for those of you that don't know Scott and I super well. Uh, we are not the guys that get invited to all the private uh, parties uh, in our in our youth. So this is this this weird once in a lifetime opportunity where we get the invites to the the cool parties. Yeah, yeah, the geeks shall inherit the earth. Exactly. Cool. Well, we have um, so that's it on shows. Let's bang out a little bit of commerce uh, retail news from this last week. So it wouldn't be a Jason and Scott show without. <laughs> News. Your margin is their opportunity. Not a ton of Amazon news this week. This is probably the lightest Amazon news for a while. And I imagine that's because the company is in a quiet period. So uh, when you're a public company, there's this kind of period of time where you know how your results were and you can't really say much about them. Um, and uh, I'm excited because they did announce when they're going to release the fourth quarter earnings, and that will be 
on February 1st. So we will do a special version of the show where we will cover those. Um, we'll cover, we'll put it down the night of the first and then we'll hopefully get it out on the second. And if our audio team can uh, jump on that, um, we've been talking a while about all the rumors around Amazon going into the drug business, uh, drug stores. Uh, and now there's a loud drum beat about beauty. So I don't know exactly what is keying everyone off of that, but uh, you know, it's pretty clear in the retail world, Ulta and Sephora are doing really well. So I think Amazon is kind of turning their guns that way. So it'll be interesting to see how that's going. Uh, and then one I've been dying to ask you about, uh, Jason, is Kohl's. So there was this kind of uh, news item that Kohl's is really wanting to work closely with grocers. That didn't make a lot of sense to me because I'm thinking, all right, blue jeans and broccoli, what's, what's the connection? Fill me in. Yeah, well, if you eat a lot of broccoli, you can buy smaller, better-looking blue jeans. Oh, good. And celery. When you eat celery, you, you actually burn net, calories. Net, yeah. net positive uh, or negative uh, calorie intake, I mm-hmm. guess. Uh, yeah, I think that's not true. And <laughs> Dang it. Uh, yeah. Sorry to be the one. To, oh, all that celery. Exactly. Right. Uh, so I think what's happening here um, is, you know, retailers have a particular footprint and they buy all the real estate around that footprint. So, you know, a coal store, I don't know the exact size, but I, I think they're probably like a 60 or 70,000 square foot store, um, the something in that range. And, you know, that's based on a certain merchandising assortment in that in that store. So over time, categories that you historically carry become uh, less successful and you move out of categories or you add new categories. And there are times when retailers find that they have more square footage than they can profitably manage. And so uh, a common play, particularly when uh, you're not uh, performing as well as you'd like, is how can I downsize by handing some of the the rent responsibility to a to an uh, a subleaser, right? Yep. So uh, the the example I like to use is Best Buy. Like you know, they used to sell uh, CDs and video games and music in the middle of the store. That stuff's all digitally delivered, but they can't just shrink their leases in their store. Um, so they they rent space to a lot of their manufacturers. Samsung, Microsoft um, will all have shop and shops. And so I think Kohl's is in a situation where they have excess space for what they think is their optimum inventory. And so you go looking and say, what, who can I profitably lease this space to? And ideally, it should be someone that's going to bring extra traffic to my store that might buy stuff. And so in the old days, that was always the coffee shop. You went looking and to, to add a Starbucks. Um, because of uh, Kohl's real estate proximity, they're in strip malls that could be convenient places to grocery shop. And so it sounds like they've just come up with this notion that, uh, man, if if there is someone that wants to expand into our footprint, subway some of our space, uh, people shop in grocery much more frequent. So it could be a great traffic driver to the stores and they could benefit from that. So we'll have to, to see uh, if that idea plays out and if they're able to get some some folks to take them up on that. But I think that's what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that was Ron Johnson's vision of retail, right? It would be this kind of, uh, you know, uh, we had Omar Assad, the analyst on, and I forget what he called it, but it's kind of like, you know, a bazaar. Yeah. We often call it retail bazaar. And it's actually the common merchandising way in a lot of places in the world. So in, in the U S a department store owns all the space and they decide what brands are in it. And they, they merchandise the brands in Europe, most of the department stores are simply landlords that rent individual shelves in the store to individual brands. Yeah, booths. Okay, cool. Um, so some other other news. Um, 
the uh, there's a, a e-commerce pure play that focuses on the um, sort of club uh, experiences and those large formats box that we've had on the show. Um, the there are rumors that they are a potential acquisition target, and I think. Um, uh, a consortium of grocery stores was mentioned as a potential buyer like Kroger. Yeah, the number that stuck out to me was 500 million, so I, you know, fingers crossed for our friends at Boxed on that one. Yeah, and that that that's close to their last round, right? So that would mean the the early folks will do really well and the the last investors probably won't do so well if that if that ends up being the number. And it happens. Sometimes it works the opposite of that because the last investors oh, get these uh, you know, really nice preference stacks and things. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, <laughs> see, that's why I have you here to make sure that my my uh, angel investing uh, is fruitful. Uh, what one near and dear to my heart, uh, Circuit City is relaunching. Yeah. Um, so, folks, uh, some of you young ones on the show might not know who that is. That was a, a consumer electronics specialty retailer that that uh, kind of grew up and competed with Best Buy. Um, they went bankrupt uh, a number of years ago. I want to say formally like 2008. Um, Sounds right. And it the the brand changed hands in bankruptcy court a few times. Yeah. So there actually was this company in uh, Florida, Tiger Direct, that bought the the brand and they launched relaunched a circuit city website for a few years yeah, and they had CompUSA. Yeah. Um, they later bought CompUSA. Um, they, uh, if I'm remembering, there's some drama there too. I think there, there was some like weird finances and the owner and, um, some, uh, there could be some, some interesting backstory there. Uh, but so the brand changed hands again. And, you know, frankly, when I heard that someone bought the, the brand out of bankruptcy, I'm like, Oh, someone else is like, Trying to leverage the nostalgia, and they're going to launch another, another you know, reskinned website. Um, and it's actually a little more extravagant than that. Like the, the, uh, this, they have a new ownership, but they're intending to open real stores. Mm. Um, and so this would both be a website and some number of new stores. It's it's interesting because I'm not sure you would look at the consumer electronics space and say what we really need in consumer electronics is is more stores and another brand to buy the place. But, uh, you know, we'll have to see what their unique value proposition is they bring to the table. That one you talk about called Beta? 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 Yeah. yeah. You know, I can almost envision like a cool, like a smaller footprint showroom thing. Because a lot of these gadgets, you want to touch them and feel them. And, yeah. you know, it, it, you know, for gadget aficionados, it's like a pair of shoes for, for people that care about shoes. Yeah, absolutely. Like we, <laughs> You want to see we, where the buttons are. You want to look at the blinky lights. And it is nice to, you know... Yeah, you know, Best Buy fulfills that for me a lot of times. I'll go look at stuff and then order it on uh, another retailer. Yeah, and I, I would say, like, one of, one of the problems with all this re- retail consolidation, there used to be this fun – you could be a geek and walk into the store and you would discover something new every single time you walked into the store that you didn't know existed that you wanted. And one of the things that all the digital transparency has created and, like, all the consolidation of the stores has created is, you know, really, you walk into an Apple store and you never see something – you didn't know was available before you walked in the store. And, you know, I, I feel like that's starting to happen, be the case at, at uh, uh, even Best Buy now as well. And so it would be interesting to see if they're, you know, they're going to provide that sort of fun jolt of discovery. Yeah. Kind of on the opposite side of the spectrum. Um, my wife was shocked. She showed me this the other day. Uh, she likes this uh, designer named Ella Moss and they have some kind of an annual sale. And she went to their website to check out the annual sale and they announced they're closing their website. And it said, 
so, say goodbye to LMOS.com, but say hello to us in our stores. And they pointed people to Nordstrom and a variety of other stores where their items are found. So I thought that was, you know, certainly the opposite trend of what we've seen out there, but they must have, you know, they must have had a good reason. Maybe it was too expensive to run the website. Maybe, um, you know, maybe they got pressure from their channel partners that kind of said, we don't like you offering this direct. I, I don't know, but it was, it was kind of a really interesting use case. I haven't seen that yeah. happen. It's bugging the trend. I suspect there's some uh, uh, serious distressed underlyings for that, but I, I applaud them uh, putting a silver lining on it and trying trying to uh, put it out there favorably. Yeah. Okay. Last topic we want to hit on, we're about 14 days into January. So we have about half of the retailers, the brick-and-mortar guys, uh, report monthly same-store sales. So we're getting a kind of a early read on holiday. And then once we have that Amazon report – uh, in early February, and then kind of by mid-February, we should have a pretty good read on how holiday came in. Um, but did you notice any of the – what were some of the interesting holiday things you saw that have come out so far? Yeah, so it's interesting. Like, obviously, overall, it was a very good holiday, like probably the best one since 2010, 2011. Yep. Um, the, and most most retailers, like, you know, either announced that they performed at that sort of average growth or even outperformed the industry – um, and then there are a few outliers that we saw um, be significantly down. And so, you know, it's the rising tides raises all boats. When you're the boat that's sinking in that rising tide, um, that's a particularly, you know, uh, onerous sign. Um, so we certainly saw uh, Sears did not benefit from the renewed spending. They were down significantly, I think like 16%. And uh, they, uh, I think, announced another round of store closures I mentioned on the, or I'm not sure if I did mention in the store predictions, but uh, certainly feels like uh, a year a major retailer. That was could, one of your predictions to yeah. go away, and I yeah. think Sears would be unfortunately a good candidate for that. Yeah, um, one that surprised a lot of folks, and this is kind of one of those bury the lead. So Walmart had a positive news that they are um, because of the the tax act that was passed, uh, they're raising the minimum wage for employees to eleven dollars an hour. I think it was, and several other people did this. That they were the only one I saw in retail. Um, but at the same time, they kind of tucked in there that they're closing sixty Sam stores. Um, I'm really bummed because the Sam's near uh, uh, my office, where we actually get all our, our office, uh, you know, snacks and stuff, is going to close. So that's going to be inconvenient. Um, and then I I saw a Wall Street analyst kind of did this analysis. And uh, the 60 Sam stores that are closing, they are some number of miles from a Costco store. So the ones they're keeping open don't seem to have much competition, but the ones that they're closing, uh, you know, the this the tart, you know, the clickbait title of this was like Costco's crushing Sam's. So they went through an analysis. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, that you know, Walmart's not used to losing. So if if they are losing to Costco, that that's a uh, you know. Pretty fascinating. Yeah, for sure. And it, I mean, uh, it's, I think Sam's Club stores can do very well, but, but, uh, Costco is, is, uh, almost a unicorn in their retail performance. I mean, Walmart's the largest retailer in the U.S., they have like over 4,000 stores in the U.S. Yep. Costco is the second largest retailer in the U.S., they have like 200 stores. <laughs> yes. Um, so, the, yeah. So they, they, they really have that model down, like, and I, I'm not sure that the average Costco, I mean, has ever underperformed the average Sam's Club store, which doesn't mean Sam's doesn't do well, but yeah, but your point, like, they're probably not doing well in the the head to head battles. Yeah, I don't know enough about the close. We maybe we could have a, an analyst on to kind of enlighten us on that. Because I wonder how, because there's BJ's as well, right? Aren't those, you know? Yeah, and I, I think 
I've seen the same store sales for BJ's are doing pretty well. So, um, and even this report said Sam's same store sales are doing well, but it must be kind of a tale of two cities. The ones that compete with Costco are doing poorly and the ones that aren't are doing well for, for them to close these. They wouldn't close them if they're doing awesome. Yeah. But it, I, I do think it's part of this, this bigger thing. We're overstored in the U S populations are moving. So you open the store, uh, in a, you know, to cater to a suburban population. And then the, those folks move from the suburbs back to the city centers and where your store should be, should be different. So it's, it, Closing stores is not is often a sign of a healthy retailer, and I think Walmart's the perfect example. Like they're pretty much clicking on all cylinders, checking all the boxes, and so it's you know it's it's unpleasant for those employees, but it's probably a good sign for investors to see someone having good financial performance and still being willing to cull the herd and kind of move away from some of the less profitable pieces of the enterprise. Uh, I think another one that. Um, we uh, uh, that was interesting this year was Target, um, and one of the stats we saw there. This has been a progressively bigger stat uh, uh, we've seen every year. But Target is now saying that seventy percent of all their online orders are being fulfilled in some way from the store. Um, so we've talked about this for a long time. It's one of the best ways a brick and mortar retailer can compete with Amazon. Is uh, you ship from that store, you get to ship USPS uh, and uh, get it there in one day for a much cheaper rate than you pay UPS or FedEx from. Yeah, I think Target actually exceeded expectations and raised, so that's good. I think the stock's been doing well. Yeah. Um, and in that same vein, we mentioned them earlier around that grocery store topic, but Kohl's, uh, they came out with 7% same-store sales for holiday. Um, and as a reminder to listeners, we had Kevin Manziel uh, on the show uh, about a year ago now. It was at NRF, wasn't it? So it must No, be it was uh, Shop Talk. Oh, it was at Shop Talk, so about uh, eight months ago. Uh, and he was talking about their strategy, uh, and it looks like it played out pretty well. And he's announced he's res- resigning and handing over the reins to a new CEO and uh, she will start, I think, in July, August timeframe. So always good to uh, to have a really nice uh, handover there when things are going well. Absolutely. Uh, I think an- another one that uh, sort of was not rising in a, in a rising tide is uh, unfortunately Macy's. So I think they were down in the like two and a half percent and they've announced another big round of store closures. So I think they're closing like another hundred stores. Yeah. Um, and then the last one I saw um, is Lululemon. They were up 13%. And this is interesting because everyone is is gunning for these guys. So everyone has come out with their own athleisure line. They've copied everything Lululemon's doing, uh, and they cannot seem to slow these guys down. There's there's uh, you know the the brand has an affinity with folks, uh, especially millennial females. Um, they have that experiential um, yoga classes in the store, and none of the other athleisure guys are really able to keep up with them. And you know I think. This this is uh, – I'm not an expert on Nike and Under Armour, but they're both under pressure. I think this is one of the things that's hurt them. They've, they've kind of gone all in on some of this athleisure stuff, specifically around yoga, um, thinking they could take a kind of some market share from Lululemon, but Lululemon's hanging in there. So that's kind yeah. of an interesting example of a David and Goliath where where you know David is winning and continuing to, continuing to win. Exactly, and in some ways maybe starting to look more like Goliath. Uh, yeah, so it's gonna, uh, definitely going to be an interesting one to watch. Uh People have been kind of predicting the end of this athleisure trend for a long time, and it it never seems to come. So it'll be interesting to see whether whether there uh, you know is a cycle that gets broken, and um, and if the athleisure tre- trend ever does end, it'll be super interesting to see if Lululemon can leverage all that great customer intimacy they have to to pick up on the next trend, or whether they're 
they're athleisure only. Yeah. Um, but Scott, uh, one of our New Year's resolutions was to do a little shorter shows, uh, and so it has happened again. We've used up our allotted time. Uh, we certainly are grateful for listeners taking the time to listen to the show. If you enjoyed it, we'd really appreciate a five-star review on iTunes. Um, I mentioned that we're going to be visiting Apple this week, and they could they could be very angry with us, so we need to get lots of reviews so they stay in their good graces. Um, <laughs> and uh, if you want to have any conversation about any of the topics on today's shows, we'd love to hear from you on Facebook. Yep. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Until next time, happy commercing. <laughs> You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com.